Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. This is the Investing Power Hour on Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Henderson. No guest today. If you like our friend John Rotanti, I will listen to his, uh, not really an interview. He was just the third member of the show last week. He had a great discussion. And I believe uh, probably 90%, you know, we have it locked into the schedule, but you never know what actually happens. Uh, we're going to have the smattering guys on next week, but we're going to get today's show. Just me and Ryan, lots to talk about. I think we'll try to cover maybe OpenAI from our perspective, but that's been covered ad nauseum across every sort of news outlet around the country. So don't think we can add anything special from a reporting standpoint. But Ryan, looks like you added a bunch of topics. I did not have any. Uh, so thank you for doing that. But how are you doing today? You just started a new job. And I guess I should say, that is why we were starting at a later time. So how's that been? Uh, maybe talk about that. I don't know if you want. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, a little bit of a life update for me, for the listeners that care. Uh, started a new job working with FinChat, previously named Stratosphere. They were, uh, they've been a previous sponsor of Chit Chat Money in the past. Um, but it's been good. The first week's always a little tough because everyone's like a little more in the routine than you are so you feel like you're kind of like just asking the the kind of boring questions and getting up to speed on everything but um i'm getting there and i gotta say i i was not making enough use of the platform because there's a lot of stuff on there that i didn't realize that that's actually already really pitching already, i know already talking to your book huh already but i've been like book. i've been like going through the platform this week because i have to you know basically for the role and i'm like I've been a user for a year and I was like, God, I missed all these stupid things, but uh, or helpful things. Anyways. Um, yeah, new job. So doing that throughout most of the day, which makes it a little tough to do these shows at nine 30 Pacific coast time. So I think kind of the two mid early afternoon, West coast, right after work, East coast might be kind of where we end up or where we land with these shows. But yeah, Lots to talk about this week. Um, you yeah, so the, really the from yeah from the podcast perspective, I know only a few people actually listen live, but unfortunately, if you enjoyed the nine thirty a.m. one, we're not going to be probably doing that for the time being. Uh, we got to make money ourselves here. The podcast is uh, not a not gushing cash flow, although hopefully over time <laughs> we build it into a little bit of a business here, but. Yeah, we're thinking we're going to change to 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern. So, hey, maybe you can join us live there and ask us questions. That will be on Thursdays, typically, although today it is Wednesday. I actually don't know if I said Thursday, but we're doing Wednesday this week because of Thanksgiving. And as always, it'll come out Sunday on your podcast player of choice. Yeah, why don't we, let's just get the open AI stuff out of the way first. We obviously don't need to go through the timeline, but from your perspective, what were your thoughts as someone who's, we're both kind of just generalist investors that are deep in the weeds here. I got to say, I was surprised how many people cared. 
like I saw this news. National news. Yeah. I just thought like, what, I don't, what's the big deal? Why does everyone care so much? Like, okay, he's a little bit of corporate drama, but it's not like, I don't know, like the world isn't running on this yet. It's not, and it's not, isn't the whole point that you don't, that it doesn't need to be one person? Like it's, it's an AI, it runs on itself, you know? Well, like, the whole goal is to replace the CEO <laughs> with AI over time. I got to say, Ryan was, I was right. I got to brag this summer. I said, I don't trust Sam Alton. Um, it sounds like, okay. So I read something that one of the board members wrote kind of like a public letter or something scathing open. AI. It was like basically bad mouthing open AI and saying that, uh, who's the other one. That's like the one that Amazon just bought like 40% of or something like that. Anthro- anthropic. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they're open AI. <laughs> Uh, defectors yeah yeah basically one of the open ai board members was going out and saying that yeah anthropic's doing a better job with safety or whatever and she might have that opinion or it might have been a he but you might have that opinion but if you're the board member it's kind of a bad look to say that apparently sam altman like expressed that and so it sounds like he was butting heads with the board so the board was like let's fire him which it feels like they overstepped uh, since they're all going to be basically kind of uh, shit canned, it, it appears. I guess. Or they have been. Yeah. At the yeah, time he, of this talking. Yeah. TBD. What? I, I guess anything can happen. You know what I thought was funny? Did you see that the, this was the most hilarious part? It was okay. For anyone that doesn't keep up with it and relies on us for their financial news, first of all, you should probably find another financial news outlet too, because we always do a bad job. We misremember things, we're, but we're not reporting. Yeah, we are just talking whatever we see out there. <laughs> this is, you know, we go to CNBC and other places for actual reporting. There was a letter. So after Sam Altman was fired by the board, there was a letter from like, what was it 90% of the employees? Maybe it was 95% of the employees that basically said, we all quit unless the board resigns. And one of the board members that voted to fire Sam signed. So he's like, unless I quit, no, unless I'm fired, I quit. Uh, <laughs> I was like, yeah. what is happening? And I, I guess yeah. Sam's back. Satya Nadella uh, showed his power, showed his relevance. And expressed that uh, Sam will, will be in the seat one way or another. And now they've got a new board. And uh, OpenAI is, I used ChatGPT this morning for like one of the first times ever. And it it seems like it's running pretty normal. So nothing's changed. <laughs> except yeah, I think, I guess, yeah. I think it's a bad look on all parties involved, really. Not very didn't seem very professional. Microsoft seemed to be caught flat-footed here. You're giving all this money to this company and you have no sort of, and you have a, what, 49% stake, but actually no control. And maybe they're about to fix that, but it's still a bad look. Apparently, they didn't didn't know until like 10 minutes before. That's insane. Yeah, so I think it's a bad look on their part. I think it's a bad look for Altman and obviously the board members who totally botched this. It. I don't know if anyone wins. Maybe Google wins if they kind of fall, if OpenAI reduces its lead, but I, I don't really. It, that's a big TBD. 
Mark Benioff doesn't win. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they win because now they aren't going to waste money. <laughs> yeah, well, well, should, we provide, should we provide context for that one too? <laughs> yeah, they said they're going to provide Salesforce. Mark Benioff is the CEO and founder, so they're going to uh, they'll match anyone's salary. Which, if you don't know, some of these salaries are like five, ten million a year. So, yeah, like that's that's some big expenses for a company that does CRM management. And I thought what was also hilarious is I found out that Salesforce put an ad up on the Vegas Sphere, which is $500,000 for a day. Uh, don't, totally relevant for enterprise software, for sure. He needs, they need the activists back. I don't know what's happening, but Benioff cannot help himself from trying to be the center of everything. Yeah. Well, he the wants business as is much too social influence as possible. As it's, Whatever. Uh, yeah, anyway, Autodesk, let's move it's, it's on. Similar, it uh, similar to Autodesk, uh, the business is too good where like the stock's not going to be on the gutter and it's not like the, they can run the business into the ground, but they can do a lot of wasteful things. But I, I, I still, and I stand by this, I've said it plenty of times throughout this year that I get a bad feeling from Sam Altman and I don't think this changes it. I, I don't, Look, if you look at all the things that he's reportedly trying to do, he's it's like Elon Musk on steroids. He's building the most important startup in the world, probably definitively, or maybe, you know, at least up there. He's apparently building WorldCoin, which if you found WorldCoin, that's to me. And look up what WorldCoin is for anyone. We don't need to get the weeds that. I think that's a huge red flag. Um, they're trying to build an NVIDIA competitor. And apparently he is trying to build a Apple competitor for the iPhone with the old head designer from Apple. So I think his goal like, the man is obviously ambitious, but <laughs> he's, I think I, I would just be worried if I was Microsoft. Yeah, it's not going to be that relevant to the bottom line. And it's probably going to help with Azure. But it seems like they're running so far so fast or so fast. And I just don't, I just get a bad feeling from this guy and it hasn't changed. I mean, this weekend kind of confirmed it. Chit Chat Money is brought to you by Interactive Brokers, but we like to call them by their ticker symbol, IBKR. Designed for active traders and sophisticated investors, Interactive Brokers offers trading assets in 150 markets with 27 different currencies, charges USD margin loan rates from 5.83% to 6.83%, rated the lowest among margin fees, the ability to trade stocks, bonds, options, futures, commodities, and more with high interest rates paid on instantly available cash balances, and the ability to lend your eligible stock shares to earn passive income, all on one single unified platform. Restrictions may apply. For more information, visit IBKR.com. Member SIPC. Open an account with IBKR today. Yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe I liked him more after this weekend, I guess. But the part that kind of weirded me out was he went to uh, whatever. He was in front of a court for some reason and he was like i own no equity in open ai and then this oh, congressional weekend, hearing congressional hearing yeah 
He okay, and then this weekend he's like, if I say anything bad about OpenAI, the board should go after me for the full value of my shares. Yeah. Was that a joke that he has no shares, or was he just lying in front of Congress? I'm very confused. So yeah, I, I don't like this effective altruism stuff about how like, oh, I have no stake here. Oh, I have no like, oh, I'm just doing it for the good of the world. Like, I'd rather have you be aligned with like, the model works pretty well to have skin in the game, have shareholders here. I also don't like I saw reporting. Like, that, I like effective capitalism. That that works just fine. Yeah, and you need to have regulations. That's conversation for another podcast. That's not our. Uh, it's not fun to talk about. But here's another thing. You can't go a day. Well, maybe this weekend. Obviously, he stayed. He laid low. You can't go a day without seeing this guy at some conference, at some forum, at some call. That's it. We've we've learned this time and again. I mean, we learned this from what Spotify when Daniel Ek went a little bit, um, not crazy, but right was like, oh, we're gonna be so big. We're gonna spend so much money. It's gonna be so great. He was on like some sort of news outlet, some sort of forum every day. Altman was doing that. I saw the reporting was he was at the Formula One race this weekend in Vegas is when he got the call uh, for the Google Meet. He's at some conference the day before. He's he's at conferences like every single day. (laughs) And I I think that generally, not just for him, is a red flag for for managers if they can't stay out of the spotlight. Yeah, I bet. But it feels pretty important when he goes to those conferences, though. Like Sam is here with us. Future. Oh, okay, okay. Loki's wearing a guest pass. He's not the CEO anymore. Whoa. Yeah, (laughs) it's like okay. Uh, Yeah. What are your thoughts on the future of humanity? Well, let me talk about our goals for artificial general intelligence and some of the things that have been leaking out about their plans and what the company members believe with artificial intelligence is quite. Mm, eccentric <laughs> i'll say so it, look i guess it's fun to watch from the sidelines but that's my take still don't trust these guys yeah but this is this is good product hey, this good is product. satya making google dance right <laughs> i guess i guess yeah the uh guess. anyway all right let's talk about the other relevant news another man who's no longer ceo in this case it's stuck Chengpeng Zhao, I believe is how it's said. CZ. CZ. Uh, CZ, former CEO and founder of Binance, was pled guilty to a couple of charges, I believe. And Binance themselves are going to have to pay $4.3 billion in fines. And I think CZ himself has to pay $50 million, maybe. I think it said the maximum or they could potentially he could potentially serve up to 18 months in prison was something i read out of the wall street journal article the one thing i was thinking when i read this is this is probably the best day sam bankman fried has had in a year yeah, Just, i guess like i was and it's kind of funny cuz i i'm still reading through num- that book number go up and he was like like sam was dunk SBF was dunking on CZ when they were being investigated. And then lo and behold, obviously that didn't turn out so well for him either. But the other part that I thought about this is, and reading that book has made me realize that everyone in the crypto space, it seems like lends to each other. 
they all lend a ton of money to each other. In some cases, as we've seen, that's that's money that does not belong to them. The if if this creates like forced sell-offs, like we saw this with who was it Celsius that went down, and then the Luna Terra Luna thing. That's what first set off the FTX collapse. The like they all have loans to each other, and it creates forced liquidations of a lot of these coins. Which I think that's when you kind of see the tide come out, and a lot of these exchanges end up, you know, having had some malpractice somewhere in there. The other thing I find interesting is we had there was like that interview with Becky Quick on CNBC last year and CZ, and she's like, "What would happen if you had a two point one billion dollar redemption today? Could you handle that?" And he like didn't really directly say yes, which was kind of concerning. A lot of, you know, the, the funniest part was like Bad during, the, language. during yeah. the interview, like he's like, uh, uh, I don't know. And he's like kind of sweating. And then you just like see the Binance coin like dropping. They like show the live chart as he's like talking. Uh, but this is a $4.3 billion charge. This is a big issue for Binance and would probably require them to sell a significant number of their crypto holdings, try to recall loans that they might have out, which I don't know. It felt like for them being the biggest exchange in the world, I would have expected more of an impact on crypto prices. Yeah. I think that's the one surprising thing, but yeah, I agree. These things have always been houses, house of cards. They will continue to be houses of cards. You are just seeing basically evidence of time and time again, they're all doing bad things. They're all using customer funds they're all operating in shady countries with no regulations except maybe coinbase maybe they just don't i guess they're trying to follow the rules uh yeah but great which, okay, well, good cool it's probably why the market shares collapsed it seems like so yeah well great you, you can follow the rules with the magic beans it still doesn't <laughs> it's still the you know that doesn't make your business sound uh, the earning a take rate on magic beans. Yeah. I mean, Binance, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they're insolvent. I don't know. These, these things are so opaque. I wonder though, oh, t- Tether is the big question. And again, this stuff's also complicated. We don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. I've tried to read up on this, but there are so many shady things going on. It's it's tough. Have, I, I, have you how read? Can you hold? Have you read Number Go Up or downloaded the book? No, I read the other one, Easy Money. I'm gonna read Number Go Up eventually. If for more, I don't know for for a lot of tether info, I'm, it's pretty uh pretty informative. He was based. It's like this reporter that was going after Giancarlo Davasini or whatever the founder of Tether, and tried to talk to him for like months. It's very evasive, kind of get an interview, talk to a bunch of people at Tether. No one really knows what they're backed by. It's kind of interesting. But the other thing I was going to mention. Yeah, I mean, they could just be printing. They could just be printing Tethers with no backing. Yeah, it's 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 very shady. And The the other thing I wanted to mention, though, is that this is not the SEC. uh, This is not the litigation that they have with the SEC where they're like, uh, I think they're currently in litigation with them that's a totally different charge this was around basically operating in countries 
or like facilitating money, money laundering or abetting it. So, or to, yeah, I mean, when you help North Korea finance its nuclear program, the government of the United States is going to come after you pretty hard and put you on the top of that list. So, yeah. The, all right. But this was in Seattle. We missed the, uh, we should oh, have yeah, that's the only. That's the only one I wanted to say when I saw I was going to be in the Seattle courthouse. I looked up where it was. Traffic would have been brutal to get down there, but I wanted to go down there and see him and start heckling him. Just yelling, like, you got to tweet your way through this wall. It's easy. <laughs> it was, yeah. I don't know. Or just hold up that four Poor thing guy. where he's like, you know, where he, I don't know, when he's talking <laughs> trash to, to SPF and stuff. It's like, you're the same guy. You guys are both the same. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to talk about this, which is kind of interesting. So I guess shout out to Stratosphere here. And this is why it kind of came up. Uh, drink whenever Ryan mentions uh, his new job. Yeah, that's sure. That should be the dream game for listeners. But obviously, it's a great platform. Lots of great data. Yeah. The So basically, I was trying out like the screeners tool. And I never really do screeners that much, but I thought it was kind of fascinating because I wanted to do a screener based around uh, basically who's been able to buy back the most stock over the last decade. And only 19 companies above like $50 million market cap in, in North America, only 19 companies have repurchased more than half of their stock in the last 10 years, cumulatively. Uh but I kind of going through them and there are a number of them ended up doing really well. So like Murphy USA, the gas station operator, they are, I think they're up like ninefold or around that. So really good performance, but there's a lot of them that were actually negative, negative returns uh, over the last 10 years, despite buying back in some cases, as much as 70% of their stock. So it's kind of interesting. I looked at basically, I, I titled the segment, how many buybacks are too many buybacks. So the cohort of companies that bought back more than 50%, which I think is like, comes out to around 6.7% share reduction every year. The median return for the stocks in those cohorts, in that cohort was 84%. The average was a lot higher because Murphy's USA was like like performed really well, but the median was only 84%, significantly underperformed the market. But if you look at the stocks that reduced their share count by only six to seven percent, so not set not more than seven percent, but six to seven percent, so slightly lower, the median return was 136% over the decade. So 50% outperformance by the companies that bought back slightly less. So I don't know if I really have a takeaway from this, but I guess my thought here is that you would have had a higher chance of underperforming by going after the stocks that ultimately reduce share count the most. A lot of these companies ended up buying back when really the better use of capital would have been to invest in their business. So like maybe it wouldn't have been a, the better use of capital, but it sound it seems like by looking at some of these businesses, there was fundamental problems with the business. That's why they got a dirt cheap valuation. That's why they were able to buy back so much stock. 
And the harder thing to do would have been to invest that capital into the business and improve it in some way. But the easier thing to do is just to buy back stock. And it seems like a lot of the companies that bought back the most stock, that was the situation. They chose to do it instead of investing into the business and trying to pivot or something like that. And maybe it was just like, they felt like that was kind of the last thing they could do. But I guess my takeaway is maybe you want to find, I mean, if you can find something that can buy back more than 7% and it's a good business, that's one thing, like if it's a Murphy's USA, but maybe you want the ones that are like, on solid footing and the business out determine that the business is going to be fine first and then look for companies that can return that uh that excess cash to you as a shareholder i don't know any thoughts yeah, it makes that? sense yeah i think i agree the yeah i have the combination of good capital allocation or consistent capital returns but you gotta have a durable business I think it also makes sense that a lot of these did poorly because if your stock's trading at a really dirt cheap earnings multiple, then it's likely that you might be in a distressed situation or you might the market might be heavily discounting your future and then you can buy back a lot of stock and if that's a mistake, it'll probably show up in that cohort. But yeah, it's the combination of, I think first, look for, do I like this business? And then second, what's management? What have they done with buybacks? And then what are they saying they're going to do? And you can find some good opportunities there. Like uh, Matt Money says in the chat, uh, which I just joined their channel the other week, says AutoZone, which is a perfect example. Yeah, that's a good one. I think that, I guess maybe if I had to have a takeaway here, it's that don't buy back or don't, buy something purely for the buyback you have to have belief that the business is going to be able to grow the top line i think at at least like four or five percent over uh, annualized over a decade because a lot of these companies I was looking at it, it's like i was basically just pulled up shares outstanding and earnings per share and earnings per share are down substantially for a number of the companies that bought back a lot the earnings per share are down substantially over 10 years, even though they cut their share count by like two thirds. So it just tells you that they should have been like they're earning a fraction of what they were earning 10 years ago. And maybe that money would have been better spent trying to pivot or maybe it wouldn't have. Maybe they, they had no no other choice. Maybe they could have just bought treasuries and just given the interest back. Yeah. I don't and, know. and that's another point of a look at like historically, okay, are they buying back stock with the earnings or the cash flow they're generating or is it not sustainable in that regard? And it's pretty easy to chart uh, that type of stuff. We got a question from Sandeep uh, from a little while ago. So I can hit it right away. What's going on with the IAC valuation? Should we just stop investing in conglomerates? Uh, I don't know if that means in general, but they made the bad acquisition with Dot Dash Meredith. Hasn't really been going that well. Last quarter, it was recovering, I guess, a little bit, but still way underperforming their initial expectations. And the market does not like that. I still, I still own it, I should say, in the personal account. Um, I think it's pretty darn cheap here. And I trust them. But the last investment they made was a mistake. 
I don't know if that means they're bad investors because the previous three large ones they made, which would be TuroCare.com and MGM Resorts, have all done extremely well. So three out of four, but last one, probably the biggest one, what was it, like $2 billion was, you know, yeah, not a good one. What's the biggest? It's kind of like Disney, right? Made a bunch of really good yeah. acquisitions and then paid a, a ton of money for uh, Time Warner or no, a Fox, uh, basically the Fox assets. And that didn't turn out so well either. The This is kind of a good example that we can now do because we don't have the fund anymore and we'll, we'll be getting our own personal savings back here in a bit and maybe think is this one that you will continue to own if i, I know you're a shareholder now but if you don't see any improvement in dot dash meredith are you just going to continue to own this um well that depends on how the other assets are doing yeah because MGM, I think, is pretty attractive. If anyone wants to listen, we covered them two weeks ago, one week ago, on a not-so-deep dive. I think we both came out fairly optimistic for that business. I think the Turo IPO could be promising. Uh, but, uh, I mean, yeah, if it deteriorates a lot, eh, I don't know. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I still own it. I still own it. I don't know if I'll be buying this one back. The I don't know if the Turo stake justifies. I don't know if it writes the wrongs of of Dot Dash Meredith right now. The let's see if they updated the filing, but I'll search while you're talking. Also, if Turo IPOs, like they're probably going to sell it. Wouldn't you think? Probably depends uh, on the price, but I'm guessing ooh, they'd sell updated, their stake. Updated S1 last week. Let's check those financials. Yeah, they, I don't know, but they hold, they got MGM, they got Angie. So I, I don't know if they, they're not opposed to holding public company. So I don't know if that's a for sure thing, but it's possible they might. Also, I found it funny that Turo's been refiling their S1 for like literally three Almost years. Almost two years. Oh, two Almost years. Almost two years now. <laughs> okay. Nine months, 2023, 666 million revenue up from 600 million last year, 21 million operating income. We're at about, let's say 50% gross margins, spending almost 100 million on marketing, 100 million on GNA. It's a decent business and they're reinvesting a lot for growth. 2022 is an outsized year, so I think it's kind of normalized here, but Pretty close to probably going to be doing a billion dollars in revenue here next year. If they keep on this growth rate, 50% margins, you can probably get down to 20, 25%. Nah, probably a little, maybe 20 is probably the high end. Uh, so two, maybe 200 million normalized earnings, 30%. You know, that could probably be four or five billion dollars in this, in this market. <laughs> Oh. Don't know if it's worth that, but it, it could trade at that. I, I've been thinking about like Uber's position in this, and I maybe I'm wrong, and it doesn't seem like apps usually do a very good job of. It feels like, especially in America, a lot of people just kind of want to fragment their apps. Like, you want food delivery, 
even if you have Uber all the time, you use DoorDash, that kind of thing. Or Airbnb like, versus Expedia. Right. So I, I think it's hard to transition if you're an app, but I would think Uber has a pretty good position to get into the car sharing space, which would and kind of concern me. If, if if Turo is a big part of the thesis as an IAC shareholder, I think that would be a genuine concern for me. Yeah, I, yeah. And it, I think it would, you definitely, if you're going to look at Turo, want to look at Uber and follow them closely. I just wonder if car rentals, what priority that is for them. Because if it's lower on the priority list compared to Eats or whatever, they seem to be investing a ton in the grocery and kind of general items, retail delivery space for quick delivery. I wonder if that's lower on the priority list and maybe that would make me a lot optimistic on Turo. But yeah, I mean, they got a lot of users. Yeah. Okay. I saw this this week and then we can take any more questions or anything that we might have. I saw that the CEO of, and I don't know this business, but the ticker is CLMT and it's Calumet, Calumet Specialty Products Partners. I think it's like $1.4 billion market cap. The CEO bought out of the money call options that expire in 14 months. He's betting that the stock will be 45% higher by the time. So 14 months, 45%. What do you think when you see that? And I think it was like $300,000 worth. It could be a decent amount for, is that nominal? It depends how I don't know. Marking it. I generally don't want to play that game. So if a CEO wants to play that game, that's fine. But I'm not playing that sort of game with my investment. So I wouldn't like it. I'd rather have someone like is the RH guy a little bit aggressive with his buybacks, convertible notes, buying back 17% of the shares outstanding in one quarter. Yes, but he's got a long-term ownership stake in the business. They have a long-term vision. Maybe I don't agree with that vision. Maybe I think it's risky, but that is something that makes me more attracted from a manager capital allocation perspective than than this. That's kind of what comes to mind. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know if the CEO is just like a very risk-tolerant guy. I don't know if he was hoping that people would see this and be like, wow, what a bullish signal. But my thought here is like, first of all, it makes me think that he's, I don't know, kind of focused on his own personal returns outside of just being a shareholder in the company, you know, like uh, not to mention it's kind of uh, clearly quite risky. So you've got to have a risk tolerance that probably aligns with a management team that's willing to do that. It might force him to make some risky decisions with the business. I don't know what kind of percentage these of his portfolio or his net worth these call options are. I assume it's probably pretty small. On the flip side, it does seem like unless he just likes to throw away money, it seems like he's probably got a sense that the business is really or the stock's really undervalued and the business is performing well and the the world doesn't see it. Yeah, I don't and know. Maybe they'll see it in the coming year. Yeah, yeah. I would want to know how much of his net worth this is. And 
I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. This can't, this one, I'd have a tough time with this one. I think generally part of me thinks it's a red flag for the comp for the management. What if the IAC see what's his name? Uh, blanking on his name. The, I don't know if his title is CEO or not, but what if he were doing this with IAC? What would you think? That would, it would make me nervous. It would be another red flag. Maybe it's not red flag. Cause maybe, cause I don't know what the actual definition we have for red flags are or what the listeners have in their minds. But I think if you add up like three red flags, it's a sell signal possibly. Joey Levin. Uh, that's his name. Joey. Yeah. Yeah. The, I wouldn't like it now because it's not thinking long. Maybe it's thinking long term, but I just ready to be by the stock. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, we had some earnings this week. NVIDIA, which I'm sure everyone comes here for our NVIDIA takes. <laughs> yeah, don't we have to, we just have to mention good. it for a minute. We Should we just talk about it for three seconds so we can put it in the title? Yeah. Blow out NVIDIA. <laughs> NVIDIA data center revenue was up 400%. I don't know. That's They're not going through the super. Let me check. <laughs> they uh, are going through the super cycle. The growth has been insane, and they have not hit the peak yet. Although I will say one thing I saw was that 20 to 25% of their revenue is coming from China at the moment, and that's going away because of the regulations. So I would be concerned about that. They said it's going to be made up, but look, they are relying on, and I guess we don't necessarily, we may not call it a bubble. You can call it a bubble or a boom. The AI bubble at AI boom. They're relying on that. And there's a lot of people that are coming after them. Advanced micro devices is doing fine. You got the internal stuff from the cloud providers. Look, the fact that the stock went down a little bit on this should show that expectation investing matters. Everything's priced in. (laughs) Yeah, I hope that was coherent, but <laughs> I, I that, that's my thought on NVIDIA. I don't have anything else. I have nothing about the business. They're doing fantastic, but not my wheelhouse. Yeah. the uh, And just to correct myself, the data center revenue was up 280% year over year. Weak. Wow. Terrible. <laughs> it's a pretty insane chart. Just the, like the quarterly revenue. Almost makes you think it might be unsustainable, Ryan. Almost makes you think. Almost makes you think that. Yeah. Hey, is their quarterly revenue next quarter for this quarter, next year for this quarter, higher or lower than this one? The re- the expectation right now, I think I saw it in the Wall Street Journal, is for like a double. In revenue? Yeah, I think so. Oof. That could have been uh, earnings, but either way, their margins are so high right now, it'd be similar. I don't know. I mean, how much of this is just hinging on like companies building internal chatbots? Or yeah, like, or venture capital pouring billions of dollars into the space, which goes to this. Yeah, I don't, I don't I worry about. Yeah, I do worry about the sustainability here. I think AI long term, 
probably very helpful to a lot of businesses, but I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of companies pulled back on some of the investment kind of in the next year or so. Well, here's what kind of leads me. Again, we are not experts on AI. So maybe the stuff, the cost of the stuff will come down or maybe the returns will be so high. But if NVIDIA chips cost so much money, the ROI across the board for the companies buying these chips is going to be so low, a lot of them will eventually go out of business. So it doesn't seem like sustainable to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Okay, well, that's our NVIDIA take. We can throw it in the title. Hopefully people listen. Uh, hope you're... <laughs> Yeah, you come here for our title. semiconductor <laughs> takes. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of a company uh, that we may know a little more about, though, Autodesk earnings, strong growth, bad capital allocation yet again. Uh, companies on the watch list for me, I think I would buy at the right price. But... Andrew Anagnost, got to go. <laughs> nah, it's okay, time for Elliot. It is time for Elliot Management and Paul Singer to step in take control of the business, send one of those really weirdly worded tweets out from Jesse Cohen's account where he says, I look forward to working with Autodesk. And then uh, suddenly Andrew Anagnost is no longer a CEO in two years. Yeah, Maybe make him a product him, guy. Make product him a product guy. guy. That is fine. But I saw, I saw the chart this morning. The stock-based compensation is ridiculous. And it needs to it needs to stop. It's a it's an illness. I think it's like a it's a plague in Silicon Valley yeah. or something. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how they've gotten away with it for so long. I don't know why investors just keep letting it go. But because the business is so good, stock based compensation for them has compounded at nineteen percent a year for the last decade, and I believe that is twice the rate of revenue. Let me double check that. Yeah, so as a percentage of revenue, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, and as a percentage of revenue, pretty deep. Pretty, I think it's over ten percent. Yeah, it's it's a big expense. They're a bit of wasteful for it, but that a the architecture and construction business, man, that's good, isn't it? Such a, I mean, man, is that a good business? And speaking of an AI beneficiary, I think this is a clear one. Who has been investing in it for years? as that's going to even lead to even more productivity gains for the software, more pricing power in the long run. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got it. It's a good business. It, it is a great business. It is a great product and set of products, but a concern here, and I think this is fair. Revenues have grown at 8.4% over the last 10 years on average annually. Stock-based compensation, 19.5% annually. But, okay, this is kind of interesting. Total operating expenses is only up 8.5%. So maybe stock-based compensation as a percentage of operating expenses is just climbing. Maybe they're just reducing the cash compensation to employees. Yeah, which is fine, but look, the scale, like operating expenses should scale for, for this business. But maybe there's more cost of revenue in there. Maybe they're hiding cost of revenue in there. I know a lot of companies do that. 
market cap i know we both like this business obviously the price matters market cap according to uh you know it's down seven percent today so i'm not sure the updates for these things let me just do a double check here across the board yeah okay 43.3 billion dollars their guy they do about two billion dollars in cash flow normalized right now yeah as you might know spc affects that what would you be what price would you be attracted to buying this in the personal account is andrew the ceo yeah nothing's changed well i own it and it's just purely out of laziness i feel like i'm gonna sell it but i'm not gonna use cash flow i'm gonna use ebit and i would say at mid-teens ebit multiple okay what would you say yeah it's hard to i kind of go for like a market cap number just because i know that their potential earnings power is so high and at the right price that buyback is going to make a lot of sense I, maybe a market cap of like 30 billion that buyback is the <laughs> most measly buyback well, right now i know at the right price at the right price. helpful yeah but i know it doesn't go anywhere and it helped me with a nice viral tweet though they that. decade buying back stock and it's in the same spot I do laugh every conference call. We continue to return cash to shareholders buying back stock. And then look at the chart. Share count hasn't gone anywhere. I guess if they didn't do it, the share count would be going up a lot. But yeah, I mean, great business continues to be on the watch list at the right price. I mean, but management continues to disappoint. I think that sums it up. Uh, but uh, look, AEC revenue growing 17%. It's, it's even accelerating. They have the pricing power. They can raise prices on Revit 5% each year. No one can do anything. No one's going to do anything because the value they provide is much higher than the price that you pay, especially on the enterprise bundle. And they have all these new products that are succeeding mightily. But again, there's multiple things that matter to a stock. It doesn't just matter that revenue is going up and that they have good products. Capital allocation matters. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a bummer of one. I think I'm going to sell it and probably replace it with something. Don't know what it's going to be. Maybe some match group. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their capital allocation will not, I mean, you know, they've said some things over the years that, uh, that aren't the best. It's hey. a low bar to be better than Autodesk. And they're actually probably in that zone of like <clears throat> similar to Autodesk at a 25 to $30 billion market cap. Right. That's like match group down at 10 or so yeah the thing that's kind of funny with match group is what was it two quarters ago i think the stock was trading in like the low 50s and the cfo gary swidler came on the call and gave like the most incoherent explanation for why they didn't buy back any stock and i thought this guy is a fool and maybe it was just the fact that he knew the business was going to put out bad results for the next two quarters because the stock's down 40% now and they are buying back stock. So it would have been, at least in the short term, kind of money wasted, especially if you know the stock's going to buy back. So if you see them buying yeah. any stock back, 
just know the quarters that are coming are going to be rough. I, I guess technically, if you just look at what they did, they were smart. They waited till the business kind of troughed. And now they're going to buy back as they think the business is doing better. But yeah, the answer he gave might have just been an excuse, but it didn't sound good at the time. I don't know, but it's kind of of an interesting thing because it's like, what do you say? If someone says like, why didn't you buy back any stock? And the answer that you have in your mind is, oh, well, our our businesses are in trouble right now. What do you say? Do you tell tell analysts, oh, we're about to report two really bad quarters. So uh, we thought it'd be a waste to buy it back now. Or do you say, well, the stock was really volatile, and uh, we just never really got around to buying it back. Like, is that? Yeah, better? you should. I don't you, know. <laughs> yeah, and usually they just say, "Well, we have it in our toolkit. We'll buy it back when we think it's optimal use." And they just say something vague that you can't really take away from. But he accidentally just said something that was probably the honest truth, where he's like, "Well, I think the stock's going to go lower." Um, yeah. I think the thing you should say, which is probably a lie in a lot of cases, is we saw higher ROI opportunities across the business investing in our product and investing in our workforce. Yeah, that's, that's what they always say. That's what they always say. All right, about 12 minutes left or so. Anything else? Starbucks well, in China, maybe? Yeah, Starbucks. There was like a Wall Street Journal article this week. It's losing to Luckin Coffee now. It's kind of Luckin Coffee's really caught fire there, which it kind of points to we th- when we think about investing in China, at least for me, I tend to think about the risks associated with reporting and the risks associated with the government being able to like kind of uh, interfere with business results. The one I tend to overlook is that it's just a very different consumer environment. So when you have an American company investing a lot of money over there in new stores and stuff, you got to like factor that in too, is that the consumer is very different. Just because Starbucks is loved over here doesn't mean it's going to be loved over there. People really seem to appreciate the Luckin brand, I guess, which I don't know how that business is still around. They were like caught on the accounting scandal. I guess they just roll with the punches there. Um, but yeah, I don't, bummer. I think for Starbucks, Howard Schultz has said that he sees it being like, I think as big of an opportunity potentially as the U S so, uh, I would be concerned for a Starbucks shareholder because that's a big part of their growth plans. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what people see in Starbucks at these prices. How is Luckin but... Coffee still around? <laughs> Remember they were like, <laughs> well, they just, they just said revenue was higher than it was. So the business, the stores were still there. And I guess probably a good unit economics. Yeah. You know what? Someone pitched it. I remember someone pitching it after the accounting fraud and everyone like laughed him out of the room. Uh, I think that person, I can't remember who it was, but they probably made a lot of money if they bought it. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Is it even well, still it's the, not still traded over here, is it? Oh, they still have an ADR. Okay. Juicy. There we go. Uh it got down to like two bucks a share or one dollar a share after the accounting scandal, and it's up to thirty-two dollars now. Uh, and boy, whoever did that. 
three years. The, wow. Yeah, I, I mean, the Chinese market is, and it's not like there's not fraud anywhere else, but over the last 15 years, there are a lot of scams, a lot of fake stuff in that market. And yeah, not surprising. Vulcan is by f- not the worst at all, but that long shot. All right, I'm going through my likes here. Did you see, speaking of which, I wrote an article at C Limited. Stock's down a lot. Have you kept up with this company at all? Yeah. Market cap's down about $20 billion now. Arena Free Fire, right? It kind of fell off. Uh, users have, yeah, users have been declining. Yes. What about your favorite company, Beyond Meat? Still reporting oh, yeah. heavy losses. Uh, but the stock sells a market cap of $400 million. So it's one of those zombie companies that you can't get a short. Uh, the shortage just is, or excuse me, the borrow for short shorting is so high. No one, like the company is clearly going to go out of business within a year. I mean, the demand for these fake meat products is going off a cliff. No one really cares about it anymore. But the stock is just going to trade like a zombie stock. It's kind of weird. The other thing that's, yeah, I actually kind of I went to the grocery store this week and I saw Beyond Meat products. I just thought like the other thing that's kind of funny, and I don't know if this has actually affected sales, but when like the sausages, because they have the Beyond Meat sausages, when they're like upright, you know, like they're not laid flat, the sausages droop, like droop to the bottom and they like compress. So it's kind of hard to describe, but it, it's a horrible look. It looks disgusting. The uh, I, yeah, I mean, it's just bad. It's just not good stuff. I don't even eat meat, and it's not. No, no. But that's uh, just an indicator to me that no, no, these things are just getting pumped into the market by VCs, and no one actually wants them. No, you and try them once, it. and then there's no, there's no consumer loyalty. Like who's like, like, the, you know, there's not fans, but people that are loyal to certain snacks, like. Cheez Its or something. There's no loyalty to these products. You try them as a gimmick, and then you're like, man, these aren't very good. Yeah. I, it is kind of interesting that like you can't really make money shorting it right now, but the equity is currently worth something and it will probably be worth zero in less than a year because they did take on a bunch of debt, which I mean, oh yeah, this will I won't, be I won't. owned by the bondholders here shortly. Yeah, well, I think there's negative the bondholders. I mean, what are they going to get? <laughs> this thing's worth nothing. There's you know convertible what's notes is- that are, there's there's over a billion in convertible notes, and I wonder where those are trading because maybe the uh, yeah, I don't see why anyone gave like when they raised. I think they raised a good chunk of debt. It was at a time when they were really struggling. Like the 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 cracks were already showing, the signs were there that this was going bankrupt, and they raised at attractive rates, like convertible notes. Yeah, and and converting it like twenty times the current stock. Yeah, well, the banks were uh, the banks do. Okay, here's what I want to close things out on, because just given the indie, how much people like the tweets, people like talking about big tech. I had a tweet talking about Apple, um, and in in the tweet, I guess you have to be a little bit more definitive. You can't have a bunch of clarifications on the stuff. 
So I'll kind of read it out and see what you think, if you agree or disagree here. So I basically had notes of they have a big chance of losing about 20% of their earnings if the Google search uh, payment goes away. They have major exposure to China on both consumers and manufacturing. There's app store litigation around the globe that is finally showing life. Uh, they are apparently, and this might not be true because they're so secretive, they're apparently way behind in AI. The stock is at a PE ratio of 31. Revenue growth, revenue is stagnated. And they're, I guess the messaging thing is kind of a joke, but yeah, they're they're finally adopting the standard messaging stuff that could erode the blue messages moat, which people laugh at, but it's, as we've discussed before, is legitimate. I said, why is this not the riskiest large cap slash mega cap right now? Well, what are your thoughts there? Would you, is Apple your, would you put it at the bottom of your, let's exclude test because we don't need to talk about that. People hate when we talk about that. Besides that, is it the riskiest one? Of the the mega caps, uh, yeah, probably. But who's going to sell it? We talked about this. Who is going to sell it? It's owned by a whole bunch of index funds. That's not a, a bull case. That, that's... <laughs> no sellers might be a bull case. The, uh, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of risk. I I don't think the Google stuff's going to go away. Would be my prediction. I also think that hurts Google just as much as that hurts Apple, maybe more Ooh. so Google. You don't Which, think it's going away? What's the what's what's the reasoning there? I think it's beneficial for everyone. I think it helps the consumers. I think it helps Apple. I think it helps Google. I think it helps the indexes because it helps both those companies, which helps pension funds, which helps shareholders, which helps people. <laughs> like consumers aren't hurt by the fact that they get access to Google's like best in class yeah, search engine. Here's here's where I'm going to disagree there. What, if Microsoft so has been canceled. No, no, no. So if Google's got a, right now a legal monopoly smartphone um, search. Now they may be investing in their product. They probably are. But if their moat gets eroded a tiny bit here, they are going to be, and there's more open, like more openings for competition. There's going to be more innovation more product stuff, they're going to be a little bit more incentivized to improve their products, their search products. So no, I think it's beneficial for society for this to go away. Really? I mean, it's not like, but, but what? it's not like the, pro the How profits are they will be like... somewhere. Like the profits will stay within the S&P 500 index. That earnings, that earnings will stay. Sure. But I don't think that really helps the consumer that much. Like what, is the search you don't think they're investing in their search browser now no i'm just saying there will be more incentive if there's more competition that's better yeah but i think i think a lot of the reason that you don't have a formidable search engine competitor has more to do with the fact that there's such a scale and data advantage with google already that people people can't catch them that's why yeah, people don't so try to compete well, then they I should guess. stop paying and nothing will happen. It'll incentivize, that, Apple to build but... their own, it'll incentivize Apple to build their own search engine. That's for sure. I mean, I th the only difficulty there is I think 
well, now, now I'm putting like Google shareholder hat on. Then suddenly, if you're Apple, I think you'd rather have, if Google takes their bid away, I think you'd rather have a $10 billion, 50% of what Google's paying them bid from Bing than build it out yourself. This doesn't, that doesn't make logical sense because they're not going to allow someone else to bribe Apple. If the Google payment is made illegal, why is it a bribe? Perspective, I mean, why is it not just bidding to be the platform? Like it's like an auction. Like they could, they could yeah, do it as an auction. They, it, they're going to, uh, like, if they rule that this sort of default thing is illegal, it's, you're not, and no company is going to have the ability to do it because you can't say, Google is not able to do this one thing, but Microsoft is, because that's the whole point of the case. Well, so either the payment well, can't stays, they, can't they just or say the though, payment goes away. Can't they just make it an open bid? Whoever bids the most for the... Well, it is an open bid right now. I thought, you were, say, I thought you were saying it was like a handshake bribe. Like, if it's an open bid, why is that anti-competitive? Because the only one that can have a positive ROIC is Alphabet. No, Microsoft could have a positive ROIC on that. According to Microsoft, they can't. <laughs> then isn't that like saying that your browser isn't good enough? Or saying that your search engine isn't good enough and that kind of like admitting defeat? I'm just telling you, like, look, there's a lot of nuances here. But for Apple's perspective, either this stays or it goes. It's all or nothing. Because okay, look, maybe the government might not do things that are logical. That could happen. But from if if they're worried about the antitrust stuff, it doesn't make sense to say Google's allowed to not allowed to do anti-competitive things, but we're gonna allow these other companies now to do it. Because it's been an open bid. Anyone can come up to Apple and say, Hey, we'll bid more than Alphabet. I bet they have a uh, like a contract length. Well, sure. Yeah, 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 of course. The that's not. Uh, I don't know. I feel like as a consumer, I I appreciate the fact that my Safari default search is Google. But you use Safari? I just download Chrome. I mean, what's interesting is that most people Chrome use is like forty percent. Forty percent is Chrome. Most people <laughs> use Safari. Then that's. I guess that's true. But, <laughs> like there would be a. I mean, it's not that hard to like have Google be your default. You can change that in your settings. Yeah. We've gone long. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll keep developing. There'll be more developments on that. I guess we'll get a verdict at some point. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. Discussion for anyone. We get some uh, people in the chat saying, curious about open AI stuff. I said, check the replay. And some guys said, no, thanks, which is funny. But that's, we're not going to talk about that again. Go check the replay. Uh, talked about that. Uh, this will come out Sunday. Let's hit the disclosure. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan or I may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Remember, 2.30 p.m. Pacific time, 5.30 Eastern, tentative new timing on Thursdays uh, for the Power Hour. The replays come out Sunday mornings. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time.